Good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling this morning? A little lighter than yesterday, which is pretty, pretty expected, but uh, hopefully everybody will start rolling in. Um, I've been tasked with introducing the man who needs no introduction. Um, my partner uh, since 2014. Hetero soulmate. And, and yes, and so he, he touched me right here. Um, but uh, Alan Mead has been my partner in podcasting since 2014. Hopefully all of you have heard us by now. Um, Alan's the one with the good voice. I'm the guy who just chuckles about everything. So, um, But let's take it away and get ready for the Alan Mead experience. dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I am a dentist, podcaster, and co-host of the Voices of Dentistry 2018. Welcome to the Alan Mead Experience Live, and thank you for coming. <clears throat> All right, so uh, let me just give you a little background on this. I am a podcaster. I'm not really a public speaker. I prefer podcasting. So this, what you see here, is what I pictured for the Voices of Dentistry for the last two years. So for the first time, I've actually been able to do it. It's sort of like a dental mic and mic show. And what's really cool is that this is how I podcast at home with the, with the mic in my face, my computer here, the iPad for notes. The difference, pants. The difference is pants. Typically, I'm not wearing pants, but, but uh, I figure we got to keep it family, family friendly. So, hey, listen, I'd like to do a little bit of uh, uh, housekeeping. The first thing I would like to do is uh, I'd like to thank my fellow hosts of the Voices of Dentistry. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Mark Costas, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jason Lipscomb, my, my co-host on the Dental Hacks, and Dr. Justin Moody. The, I think these guys have really been a huge help in all this. We've had a really good time planning it. I think they've done a great job. So I'd like a, a big hand for the co-host of the Voices of Dentistry. <laughs> right along with that, we have some meeting planners you've probably run into. Uh, Natalie and Elena, and Elena are, are from uh, Sweet Pea Meetings. They're doing a great job. And uh, we couldn't have done this without them, so they deserve a, a big hand as well. All right, so what do you guys think of the Voices of Dentistry so far? Good? You like it? All right, I want to ask you, how many people were here for Voices of Dentistry 1 in Nashville? Yeah, give me some, give me some, oh, nice, very good. We got a lot of people. So um, just, uh, what do you think of the venue compared to uh, Nashville? <laughs> I think I said, I heard someone say that a real estate agent would have called our venue from Nashville quaint. Quaint was the, and it, uh, it smells a lot less like a urinal cake here, I think, so. All right, so um, I want to announce that the Voices of Dentistry 2019 is happening, to be sure. It's going to be January 26th, uh, 25th and 26th, it's a Friday and Saturday of 2019. You're going to get your best price possible if you sign up here at the registration desk before you leave. But deal's off. If you leave and you didn't sign up, you have to pay more. So go sign up now. It's going to be a great meeting. I think all the sponsors have really appreciated the interaction you guys have, have given them. Um, I have another, uh, another note. Uh, Dr. Jameson Spencer. What did you guys think of Jameson Spencer? Yeah, he was the man. So 
one thing I think people were a little bummed out about was that he does his study club and he only, there's like a limited time you can get in. And uh, he emailed me last night and said, okay, here's the deal. If there are people that came to the Voice of Dentistry that would like to get in, they need to email him personally, jamesonspencer at gmail.com and just put in like the, the, the top uh, friends of VOD. Just let them know that you saw him at the Voice of Dentistry and uh, you don't have to wait till July. You can get in now. So that's a huge deal because he's got a line. So he's letting you skip the line if you're interested. So he wanted to let, he wanted to let you know that. Um, okay, so we need to talk about the sponsors. Yesterday I asked you guys if you would please be a little uncomfortable with the sponsors. We want them to know that you're loving what they're doing. So I, I suggested that maybe you make it a little weird, like get right up in their face. They've been impressed, but I want to see a little bit better. So I have a couple suggestions for you. First, um, the Productive Dentist Academy. If you've seen, they've put together the, the Pathogen Lounge. I'm told that there are technically no pathogens that you'll get if you go to the Pathogen Lounge, but they'd like you to go there. Now, if you're tired, this meeting has tired me out, they have couches there. So a way you can kind of make it weird with them, nap on their couch. I'd like, I'd like to see some of that. I'd definitely like to see some of that. Um, my friends at Kettenbach, I don't know if you saw the Kettenbach, they, are, they have some amazing impression material, great pricing. They have a material that uh, Dr. Paul Goodman's a huge fan of, it'd be Silgenot. I don't know if you noticed that uh, Silgenot's like an alginate replacement. It's really good stuff, I use it in my office, and they have a strawberry flavor. Um, to make it weird for them, I think you should ask for free samples. I think you should, you should try a little. And then ask when their spicy garlic is coming out, because I feel like that's going to be a big mover in my practice. BioClear has changed the way that I do dentistry. Uh, Jeremy's right out there at the BioClear booth. I really think you should let him show you BioClear. It's changed my life. But better than that, stare at his beard for a while, because it's epic. He has the epic beard. So let, let Jeremy know that, that you're appreciating what he's doing there. Um, Brian and his team at Opera VR, I don't know if you saw that, he's got the, he's got the, the VR headset that, like, they call it Digital Nitrous, very cool stuff. You got to go check that out there over in the corner. And um, if you're really nice, put the VR headset on, he'll rub your feet. He told me that he, told me that he would. So, so go check that out at, uh, at Opera DDS there. Finally, head over to the Premier booth. So who here has gotten one of the comfort views? There's not that many people that have posted photos, and you can't win the $200 gift card unless you post the photos. So you get one, that's cool, but the $200. So you're really only selling your dignity for $200. So go ahead and do that. Uh, they're going to they're draw out of a hat of all the people that put their photos up um, at about 4 this afternoon, so we'll announce the winner then. All right, so the other thing that I want to tell you, this is a podcast meeting, and I want to thank all the podcasters for coming. Uh, if you've noticed at the breaks, it's really hopping around the podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to be on a podcast, talk with a podcaster, they're waiting for you to come up and, and say hello and be on the show. So don't be shy. So um, it's kind of funny because how many people here have heard the Alamede experience before? Okay, so a few, a few. That's cool. Thank you, by the way, for listening. Um, I think we're probably better known for the dental hacks. It's like when you have two children, you know, 
you love them in different ways kind of thing. The dental hacks is sort of the, the big successful one, and the Alameda experience is kind of the one that's, that's lagging behind. And in high school, they, they always referred to him as the little brother of the dental hacks, that sort of thing. Uh, I really love it. It's a, fun, it's a cool podcast. It's live to tape, which is to say I push record and we just go. There's not much editing. And um, it's more about conversations. It's more about storytelling, that sort of thing. Uh, so if you've got your phone here, I'm going for the cheap ploy. If you would search just in iTunes or whatever for Alan Mead and subscribe, I'd love it if you'd listen to that. All right. So I want to introduce you to my co-host. Uh, typically, we have interviews on the Alamy Experience. I like to get people that have interesting stories and, and talk to them about it. My co-host is a podcaster in her own right. She has a podcast out called The Dental Outliers. She's a prosthodontist, and she is an associate of a couple guys you may have heard of before, Dr. Greg Kinzer and Dr. Frank Spear. Please give a big round of applause to my co-host today, Dr. Stephanie Zeller. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. So I have, uh, Stephanie has a really interesting background. Um, we were going to talk a little bit about prosthodontics, but what's really funny, Stephanie's dad, your dad's an oral surgeon, isn't he? He is. Okay. So you and I have that in common. My dad's an oral surgeon, he's a dentist, but we both grew up in dentistry. So, and you're a prosthodontist. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, I'd love it if you'd tell us a little of your story about, like, how did that work out? Like, was it, did you see your dad as an oral surgeon and, and were you ever drawn to that? Or, or, or was it like, hell no, I don't want to do that or, or what? Yeah, so um, I worked for my dad uh, in his practice um, when I was in high school. I assisted. And you assisted an oral surgeon in high school? Uh -huh. Wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, and then throughout college a little bit. Um, and then once I decided to become a dentist, I did think for a while that I might go into surgery. Um, but then, I don't know, the more surgery I did in dental school, decided I didn't think I wanted to be an oral surgeon. Um, and in terms of pros, uh, the only prosthodontics that I knew in dental school were just removable pros, mm -hmm. kind of some older prosthodontists that talked to us about... Where'd you go to school? Uh, Kansas City. Okay. So I graduated in 2010 from... Okay. There. So what is it about pros departments where, like... The the full-time guys, like, they're never under about 68 years old, and they, and they they're, it's, I mean, I, I don't mean to insult, but it's like, particularly the ones that work with the undergrads are always like, I mean, I teased you yesterday, I took denture impressions with polysulfide, and technically it's a good material. Um, looks like chocolate pudding smells like a bad perm, but, I mean, it's, 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 it's good material, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it takes great impressions. Better pour it right the first time, though. Yeah, and yeah. it only takes 10 minutes to set. So, what, I mean, what's not to love? But that, <laughs> when, I, when I think of prosthodontics, that, like, like when I was in dental school, that's what I was, like, it was always a treat when you got to take your crown and bridge impressions with polyvinyl. You're like, yes, you wanted to work with the part-time guys because they wouldn't bring out the polysulfide. So, yeah. like, did you experience any of that in process? Because um, I can't yeah. see wanting to be a prosthodontist after working with those guys. Um, that was kind of my exposure to pros at Kansas mm -hmm. City, too. Mm -hmm. um, mostly removable. Um, partials, dentures, I, yeah, I didn't really know anything about what else you could do in process. So true, that. so true. All the specialties um, did that. Yeah. I think that um, schools that have pros programs, because Kansas City didn't. Oh, okay. Um, I think sometimes they can be a little bit more integrated, have younger people yeah. teaching. Yeah, yeah. 
it's I don't know. It just seems like dental schools in general, a lot of a lot of them suffer from you know teaching the techniques from 20 years ago kind mm -hmm. of thing, and that's that's like real. I, did you find that to be the case in the grad programs? I mean, or not really? Where'd you, um, where'd you do your grad? grad so program? I did grad at Baylor okay. in Dallas. Um, I actually found the opposite for Pross residencies. Uh, in dental school, it seems like people, it seems like you are being taught things that are sort of behind. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in Pross residencies in particular, it seems like the, we're doing a lot of the newest research, especially in terms of digital dentistry, implant dentistry. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're ahead of the curve. Okay, that's interesting. So the one thing in grad residencies that, in, in undergrad dental school, you remember like there was just the very very most basic amount of like evidence-based dentistry. They didn't really teach us how to, how to read a paper. They didn't really teach mm -hmm. us how to do science. They kind of, they put so much stuff in four years and they didn't really do that. And then I, my understanding of, of grad residencies is like you're just drowning in papers, like yeah. the classics and all that stuff. Do you, how do you feel like that affected you as a clinician and a teacher? So different programs are different. Some require a master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, so my program, I got a master's degree, which means I had to do research and write a thesis. Mm -hmm. um, so you take statistics and um, different courses to learn how to critically read research. Mm -hmm. um, I think that made all the difference um, because I was able to, um, I'm still able to apply that and learn the newest te techniques. Mm -hmm. So it's a good skill to have. Mm -hmm. It's, it's funny, I was actually on the Dental Hacks Nation, there was, uh, not that long ago, I was looking for some kind of a, it was a paper someone was talking about, and I, w I wanted to read it, and it's like, when you're a general dentist, you don't, you know, you don't have access to that stuff, yeah. you don't, and I, there's a few people that pointed me in, a, in the right direction so I could get some, but it is like, dentistry is, is kind of notoriously not sciencey, you know, where, like. Where like, did you go to get that? Uh, I'd have to look, it was a. Uh, I think it was kind of like an underground sort of site. I, I forget oh. what you probably know what it is. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure that I should. I could tell you, but I'd have to kill I, you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I, I'll, I'll give credit to Ali Sergi. He he was the one who sent me there. So thanks a lot, Ali. Um, but I, but it's like I don't. There's a few people out here that probably subscribe to journals, but it's really expensive. And, and frankly, you know, and the throwaways are cheap and have really pretty pictures. You know, it's like uh -huh. so. I don't know, we, but we didn't have a research base in dental school, so I think a lot of general dentists don't have that, where I feel like someone having gone through rotation maybe has a, a better understanding about critical thinking, right. about stuff, all that stuff. Well, and it's hard to know, especially with um, so much dentistry on social media right now, mm -hmm. it's hard to know really what is good dentistry know, and what's bad dentistry. And the people marketing to us know that we don't know that stuff. Mm -hmm. like. Like, they, they cherry pick data all the time, all that stuff about materials, and so, I just choose to know nothing because I don't trust anyone. You know, it's one of those. Mm, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's working for me for the moment. Anyhow. <laughs> so okay, you were in a in a. How long was your residency? Three years. Three years. Okay. Okay. Did you teach the undergrads? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. That was the thing. We had a lot of t uh, grad students that taught us as well, and it seemed like they were as old. They they were acting towards us as old school as the as the the full time faculty was. So it's like I don't know if it's that they. <laughs> they just, they knew they had to teach and they wanted to put as little into it as possible yeah. or what? I don't even know. Um, we tried to, it's funny because when you're in dental school, um, there's so many things that you're focused on. Mm -hmm. You have all these things, all these requirements you have mm -hmm. to meet. So I think it's hard to um, think outside of the box when you're in that stage. I mean, I remember going to lunch and learns and being totally uninterested. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. But lunch was, was a special thing oh, in dental yeah, school, so yeah. everyone went. It was just, I mean, I get it, I get it. So, 
Well, I mean, so contrast what you were doing in your residency to like what real life prosthodontics, you know, as a prosthodontist is, you know, like how much different is, is what you're doing now versus, I know it's, that's a loaded question, but I'm just curious about that. Um, well, I'm fortunate enough to be in a practice where we really do pros, mm -hmm. um, big complex cases. So it's actually for me very similar. Mm -hmm. um, I had considered going to pros um, just to ha have that body of knowledge mm -hmm. and then apply it and practice all of general dentistry. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up in a practice that is very specialized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Frank Spear, he's, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he probably knows what he's doing. That's fair. I, uh, do you feel like a lot of prosthodontists sort of fall back into the general dental thing because, like you, you just said something that's a mouthful. You are a prosthodontist that actually does pros, which is to say you probably have mostly referral-based cases. Mm -hmm. People come in knowing they're going to be doing complex care versus, I mean, and I suspect that works maybe in a large city with a, you know, with a practice that's well-known. Do you feel like prosthodontists, a lot of them don't get to do maybe what their training taught them? Um, I feel like most prosthodontists do get to do complex cases, and that may be because they are able to diagnose them. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, part of what we learn is to spot things that you maybe didn't know how to spot mm -hmm. while you were in dental school. So, um, that doesn't mean they have uh, only big cases, they have a lot of small cases, sure. but you're able to, I don't know, more thoroughly sure. diagnose. So here's something I wanna know. There's, uh, there's a lot of dentists, probably a lot of dentists here that, that like to do complex care in their general dentist. And, but I know that a lot of these people, when they start doing more and more cases, implant treatment planning, all that stuff, in their mind they're thinking, you know, would a pros residency benefit me? Would it be worth to go back for that? Knowing what you know on both sides of that, what do you tell that general dentist who already has a real interest in complex care? Um, well, when I got out of dental school, I took a lot of CE. Um, I was kind of blowing all my money on CE, yeah. really. Um, trying to gain, actually, that same body of knowledge that a prosthodontist might have. Um, so I think what it comes down to is what exactly you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, it depends w what you want to know. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, um, if it's kind of more specialized towards like implant industry, for instance, you could probably take a lot of CE. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to know how to treat big, complex cases, um, I think over time you can get a baseline through CE, mm -hmm. but for me, what Pross Residency did was it gave me time, mm -hmm. like a focused amount of time mm -hmm. to learn I, a lot. There's times I think that'd be really cool because so much of what, what you learn, even in good CE, if you can't apply it right away, if you can't, yeah, you know, you like so much of the treatment planning CE you take, you you get better at it by doing it a lot and, and having repetitions. And in a general dental practice, unless you're in a real specialized practice, it's hard sometimes to get the reps on the complex right. cases. So, so much of, you know, if the big cases that come my way, I'm kind of relearning everything, like on, on right. oh God, what do I have to do? So they almost are never profitable. You kind of always lose your ass on that case because you do everything wrong as you're relearning it. Where I feel like, you know, big case dentists do it better because they get to do it more often in the same way that, you know, how most of us can knock out a, a lower first molar crown prep because we do them all the time, you know? Right. And you have guidance. I mean, that's a big key. Mm -hmm. uh, you have somebody looking over what you're doing mm -hmm. and advising you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I've always, I've thought about that. It's like, you know, for someone mid-career to go back to school would be such a huge compromise, but I, I've, I won't lie to you, I've kind of contemplated it. 
So tell me what's exciting in Pross right now that's even different from when you got out of your residency. Like what, what are you doing differently now? Uh, I mean, you're in a perfect, you're the perfect person to ask this question because you're in a, a like you said, a very Pross-based practice. What's new and cool that you're doing now that you didn't get to do in, in Pross school? Um, one thing that's uh, quickly evolving right now is just digital dentistry mm -hmm. um, and the integration of different workflows. Mm -hmm. um, they're becoming more streamlined. Companies are coming out with new products all the time that we can play with. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that's really quickly evolving. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, certain restorative materials are evolving relatively quickly, mm -hmm. particularly for full arch fixed cases, mm -hmm. which are just becoming more common. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a question just about that. This is interesting. I, I asked Dr. Bruce Baird this yesterday at, uh, when we were podcasting out there. So do you think, okay, the term terminal dentition, which is someone who's, who's you know, one way they're losing all their teeth. A lot of general dentists look at patients and we keep patients limping along a lot longer. And I, I wonder if someone with the training and comfort with implants and treatment planning and in and, and large case pros is going to look at someone with a dentition that maybe I would try and restore because I don't have that skill set or I don't know where they're looking at like, look, the predictable move is to go into full arch stuff. And it's like, how do we get the regular guys over that hump? You know, and the other thing is, of course, patients will, willing to make that jump. But I'm just curious what you think about that. Do you, do you look at a terminal dentition differently now since you've been trained in all this stuff than maybe you would have before? Yeah, I mean, I think that you want to do what you feel comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't offer certain treatment plans, it's often because you don't feel comfortable yeah, it's totally right. them. That's totally right. That's totally right. So um, Justin Moody, if he sees like occlusal caries, it's an implant. Uh-huh. Because that's, I mean, that's kind of where his <laughs> skill set is at. I just, that's kind of what I'm talking about here. There you go. I have to drill? No. No, but I mean, I, I think about that a lot. So I'm like, I think sometimes my patients are at a disservice because I don't have the comfort with going to a full arch solution yeah. like, like maybe I should. And I think that's, a, I'm missing that. Well, um, I mean, that's very common, especially for that particular treatment. I think that one thing you could do is be educated on how, just how to diagnose mm -hmm. an ideal patient for that treatment and then have people to refer to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just feel like if I went into an office of someone who's doing a lot of full arch dentistry, I might not get my teeth cleaned. I'm just saying, I might, I, I, they might slip me some Halcyon and all of a sudden I got a full bridge or something like that, you know, <laughs> teeth in a day kind of, I don't know, I just worry about that. It, I mean, and the other thing is, is there's a lot of us out there that like our sweet spot is that single tooth dentistry where you're just like, yeah, I'll do a crown six times in a day and then go home, I'll do that, you know, and, and it's, it's comfortable. Like the idea of doing some of the full art stuff that I see you guys do and Justin do, I'm like, wow, I'm really, I'm really glad I'm sitting in my office drinking coffee right now instead of doing that. You know, it's, I, so, and I know it's a, everyone says you need to be outside your comfort level, but sometimes the comfort zone is really right where I want to be. I, I just, so, so what I'm telling you is some days I wake up thinking I want to go to a Pross residency and some days I want to like just drink coffee in the uh -huh. office. It's, it sort of depends on the kind of day I'm having yeah. basically. I think everyone probably yeah. has those days. Yeah, that's, I get it. So what, uh, what technology in Pross? has excited you the most? You say digital dentistry, but I mean, like, there's a lot of aspects to that. Yeah. I mean, from the lab stuff and the different materials where you're milling instead of, versus, like, capturing images and, and that sort of thing. Like, what's, for you, what are the things you've incorporated now that you just, you, you'd stop practicing if you couldn't use? Um, 
a lot of my focus in my residency was on guided surgery, mm -hmm. um, particularly for big, bigger cases. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's one of the elements that I just enjoy the most mm -hmm. is um, planning complex cases, multiple implant placement, um, and then executing them. Also, it's fun if you can integrate the uh, restorative mm -hmm. process during, like within the workflow. This is interesting. So you place a lot of implants in as well? Um, I placed implants in, in my residency. Mm -hmm. I'm not placing implants due to the fact that my practice is referral based. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense for me mm -hmm. to do that. So you've got, but you've got a team probably of surgeons where you yes. you can treat plan with them. And, mm -hmm. and who, uh, what kind of specialist is placing your implants? Um, I, I work. I'm waiting for her to drop some really big names. That's what I'm waiting oh. for. It's a, <laughs> Um, I work with several periodontists. Mm -hmm. um, I, I seem to work predominantly with periodontists okay. in Seattle. Okay. Um, I think oral surgeons are, you know, great at placing implants. Mm -hmm. My dad does a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. But does your dad? How does your dad feel about guided surgery as an oral surgeon? He's been getting more into it. Okay. Um, I feel yeah. like oral surgeons push back on that way more. And I'm maybe because they're cowboys and they're, they're like, yeah, hey, I'll just flap it out and I'll see everything. But I got periodontists around me are more interested in, right. in guides. Interesting. I think that mentality is, is dying off amongst oral yeah. surgeons, yeah. or at least the ones that I've spoken yeah. to. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else has noticed that, but it, it sort of seems to be the case. Yeah. In Michigan, you know, we just last year, they took the um, limitations on CT scanners. We used to have to jump through all kinds of hoops to get them. And um, so I thought, great, you know, my surgeons, they'll get a CT, we'll start working. They don't want them. They, I don't really think I need that sort of thing. I'm like, oh my God. I, my periodontist just got one. So I mean, like, it's, it's an interesting thing. When you don't have the ability to use a CT, you can justify a lot of stuff, right? But as soon as you kind of like, as soon as you, your eyes are open to it, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if you guys ever saw Armin, uh, Armin, well actually Armin's the one who got uh, Corey doing it. He challenged him to like CT like the last 10 implants he placed and, and Corey bought a CT like that day or something like that. So, and Corey was pretty sure that his placements were great and he, and this is someone who clearly I respect his clinical ability and all that stuff. So I think, I think that everyone kind of needs that. Everyone kind of needs that eye opener. I, I don't place implants anymore and I said I wasn't gonna until I get a CT, so. Yeah, I mean, um I feel like most people that are doing implant placement now are looking at the bone three-dimensional. Except for Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll catch up eventually, I know, but that's, yeah, I know. I do, I feel like I'm in like some third world country when I talk about implants though, seriously, because people, there's an assumption like, okay, so you get the CT, I'm like, yeah, really? Okay, yeah, I'll get the CT. Like, like no one has one around me. There's, we have like one or two in town. It's crazy. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Can you imagine that? It's like, yeah, I'll just go to work with a blindfold on. It's nuts because I know like most implant treatment planning starts with the CT, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, and that just like doesn't really happen around us. Mm -hmm. It'll get there. I mean, the, the, the restrictions were lifted, but it is funny. Like, how can one state be like, it's like we're Uganda or something like that. We just don't, we don't, we don't have this, we're finally going to get this, but anyhow, so, so you feel like CT and that sort of thing has been a huge mover for you? Um, yeah. And you've probably had that since your residency though, too? Um, yes, that's so you never, yeah, you never experienced the, the joys of treatment planning on a pano and. Um, I mean, yeah, I practiced as a general dentist before I went back okay. to school, so, okay. um, and that was before CTs were as okay. ubiquitous as they are now. Okay, but. okay. What do you feel like, I mean, so you're using, um, I know that 
you guys do a lot of digital workflow stuff. What do you, what do you tell someone who, who wants to get into digital workflow? Where do they start? Like, what technology do they start with? Do they go full-on intro scanner? Or, I mean, or is the CT the most important thing? Or, or uh, a desktop scanner at this point? Or, yeah. like what, or, or software? I mean, like, there's a lot of ways you can kind of get in. And if you don't want to just drop all your money at once, what, what's the biggest value? Right. Um, yeah, I get this question a lot. I'll bet. <laughs> um, so it depends. Uh, what I would do is I would look at where the focus of your practice is. What are you doing most? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or what would you like to do more of? Mm -hmm. um, so if you are focused on implant placement, then you, know, you probably want to get a CT mm -hmm. and start planning your surgeries digitally. You'll probably want to get a 3D printer to print your guides. Um, or if you're doing more crown and bridge, mm -hmm. then you may want to look at getting an intraoral scanner. Mm -hmm. If you want an in-office workflow, there's plenty of yeah. Uh, yeah. mills and such that you can now get in-office. Sure. So it all sort of just depends on what the focus of your practice is. Mm -hmm. I think a nice start for almost anyone, though, is an intraoral scanner. Mm -hmm. um, that's a you know an ideal way of entering into a mm -hmm. digital workflow. Who here's got a, an intraoral scanner in their office? Raise your hand. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I have one too. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I mean, I got in with the inexpensive one. I, I like it a lot. And I like you couldn't. Once you really get the workflow, like you can't really take it away yeah. from me now. So you have the three. I have the three M. Yeah, I have the three M. Yeah. And what are you, you using now? Just Crown and Bridge stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I can export STLs and stuff, but I since CTs are so it's hard to get a CT where I am. It's going to get better soon, and then I can actually start start treatment planning stuff. Yeah. But so I'm just using it for Crown and Bridge and. I found I just I just love the fit that I get like mm -hmm. like it cuts the the seat time down so much I, and maybe I was using horrible polyvinyl or something or my technique wasn't good but it just seems a lot easier now so so are you sending your scans to the, your labs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay and are they keeping it in a digital workflow or are they printing up the models? yeah I I have like I okay this is really cool so I use two labs I use Keating Dental Arts. And they typically print a model for me. Mm -hmm. That's I think their comfort level is there. I, I think they could do a model list for him, but they never did. And then I use a guy locally who there's no model at all. He doesn't have a mill yet, but basically he just works it up in ExoCAD, which I have to tell you is awesome because when he has any questions at all, I can either go over and see it or he just emails it to me. And it's a small lab, so it's like I feel like I'm I'm right. pretty important to him. You know, yeah. it's not God love Keating, but they're big. They're a big lab, and so I'm not necessarily going to talk to the same person about stuff. I mean, I, I get emails from Chad all the time asking about, you know, specific things or, or how did that seat go and all that. And it's, it's been great, but he is digital. He is mm -hmm. digital. I mean, he, he can stain and glaze and he can, he can, but it's all, he actually sends it out for milling. But he can still turn it around in five days, so it's amazing, yeah. yeah. Nice. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on the digital workflow. He, and what's really funny is he uses ExoCAD, so I'll go in and literally see. And I know there's tons of dentists now that are doing most of their design and stuff on their own. So tell me what that, I mean, prosthodontics is sort of famous for kind of being into the, controlling the whole process, you know, mm -hmm. where, where you're doing the lab stuff and everything. Are you, how much and what are you doing yourself versus having lab technicians do and all that stuff? Um, I'm a big advocate of labs. Mm -hmm. um, nice. I really value my ceramist and my lab techs. So, um, and I did in residency as well. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are some prosthodontists that are doing a lot of their own, um, you know, ceramics and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I'd never had an interest in doing mm -hmm. that. Um, so, 
Yeah, he does most of my designing. He designs mm -hmm. in Zircon's on. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it just depends the case that I'm working on. Sometimes we'll use a, more of a digital workflow. Um, all the designing for that he does is is digitally. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I'm a big proponent. That's of, cool. That's, I mean. I guess if that's your, your skill set with lab stuff, that's great. But it just, it does seem a little bit like the lab guys are there for a reason, you know, they're the yeah. ones that have been doing this forever. So I like, mean, I also think there is a place, um, you know, for doing things yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just depends. Well, tell, okay, tell me a situation where you'd be into that. That, that would be your um, choice. I mean, for, for instance, having um, uh, the means within your office to mill your own crowns mm -hmm. and deliver them. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great service mm -hmm. for patients. Right, do you have a mill in the office? Um, we do. Okay. Um, I, we don't really use it mm -hmm. for crowns. So, I mean, we don't really use it very mm -hmm. much. What are you using it um, for? We're not using it. Not much. using it. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I, I get mean, it. That that you just said a mouthful well, though too. Well, we have. Um, <laughs> you have an on-site lab tech that uses it, or? Um, no. Um, I mean, we have some lab techs that come in, mm -hmm. and they'll, they will use it uh, from time to time. Um, before I went back to my residency, I worked in an office where we had a CERAC, mm -hmm. and I was milling all of my crowns, mm -hmm. um, which was great for patients okay. and for me, really. Um, I mean, it saved me a visit. Um, so I think that there's definitely a place for mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. the cases that we're doing are typically multiple units, sure. so it just doesn't make any sense yeah. for us to do. I mean, it's funny, though, because there's, there is this push from... Uh, some, for instance, if, if you spend any time on, on some of the Facebook pages where they're really cutting edge digital stuff, the blue sky bio and everything, there's people that really want to do all of it. And mm -hmm. if that's your, if that's your jam, I mean, that's, I, I think that's cool. I think that, um, and I, I mean, it, clearly it's going to, it's going to bring your skill set up because you're doing a lot of like, I think when I don't appreciate a lot what goes into the design and stuff like that because I'm not doing it. So there's, there's right. a certain amount of that I think that's good, but um, I don't know that I, do you think dentistry is going to move more towards in-office milling just because like for costs and convenience or not necessarily? Um, yes. Interesting. I, guess in a, um, I mean, prices are going down yeah. and um, there are more workflows being established and I think we're going to have more options. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's going to make sense, especially if you're milling things like just other than crowns, like you could mill your wax yeah, or yeah. Um, PMMA provisionals. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think more workflows will be established for in-office mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because then, then the t you know, I I want to do it for the fact that I want to I want to see it and play with it, but I just there's I don't see that that becomes a financially viable for me. I mean, yeah. I, it's more I'd love to play with that, but you have to you have to commit. I mean, we're talking. I don't know, mills are forty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. That's not the kind of thing I want to become a coat hanger in my office, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of younger dentists are just having fun with it. Yep. I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, I think enjoying your job mm -hmm. is incredibly important. Yeah. And digital dentistry is a nice means of facilitating that, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. There's a lot of places, too, where you can actually, there's, one of the things that's cool about it is the continuing education and the way to learn how to do this stuff. A lot of it is online. One of the co-founders of, of the Voice of Dentistry, Sean Vandeviver, is a big ExoCAD guy now. He's doing all kinds of stuff at exocademy.net. And, and it's, he's like, he's into it. He's really into it. But also, his brain is a special kind of creature. 
And I don't think everyone can do that. I literally heard someone say, yeah, he drinks two pots of coffee a day. I'm like, that's, but the cool thing is he's in Michigan and he's been begging me to come down and see his workflow, so I'll probably podcast about that. But I mean, it, it is, it's interesting to me. I'm not sure how well, I, I might be just old enough that, that uh, get off my lawn, you kids. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not positive I can go there. So I'll let someone else do it first and see if that fits for me, I guess. I don't know. But it is exciting, right? It is, yeah. Do you, okay, look 10 years down the road. Do you see yourself doing more of that, or do you still, stay with, still staying with the lab? Um, I guess it depends how technology evolves. Mm -hmm. But um, as of right now, in ceramics, although a lot of it is milled, for instance, when I use zirconia, um, it's milled, but then there's a cutback mm -hmm. to hand layer porcelain. Mm -hmm. So these are things that I have no interest in doing, really, at this juncture. <laughs> um, so, you know, I foresee myself likely continuing to use lab. But sure. we'll see. I mean, you never know where technology. Sure. All right. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about um, who here has ever seen the Instagram uh, best of pros on Instagram? Okay. We have one of the co-founders. This thing is amazing. Tell us a little bit about, first off, what is the best of pros Instagram? Where did it come from? And, and, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So um, I created a dental account on Instagram about a year ago now, mm -hmm. come February. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is I was in Chicago at uh, the Fixed Academy meeting, which is a Pross meeting, and I met Miguel Ortiz, who is on Instagram, and um, he now has like 125,000 followers, mm -hmm. and it's a dental account, mm -hmm. um, which I found fascinating at the time because I actually didn't follow very many dental accounts. Mm -hmm. um, but I started following him and other people and it was really interesting. And so I decided to create my own dental account mm -hmm. around that time um, and started kind of posting my own photos of, of work, et cetera. And um, on Instagram, there are accounts that will repost you, um, that repost certain subject matter. And I noticed that there was no essentially repost account that was reposting complex pros. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of accounts that repost implant cases, periodontology cases, that sort of thing. Um, and so I had this idea to create a repost account for just pros cases. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to Miguel and Miguel said, it's interesting that you say that because I've been wanting to do the same thing and mm -hmm. I actually have this best of pros account that's just been sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I think I've just been waiting for the right moment. How about we just do it together? Mm -hmm. um, so. That's kind of how it I'm formed. flashing some photography. You can see that she knows what she's talking about when we're talking about photography. Um, so the best of process account is an aggregator then, basically. You're yeah, it's you're a pulling... repost account. So okay. we repost uh, good process cases, mm -hmm. essentially. That's it, really cool. Yeah. So, okay, so like what, when you're looking through Instagram, uh, for pros cases, what makes it what makes a great pros case? What are you looking for? Um, the photography is important mm -hmm. um, because I feel like you can't properly illustrate um, good dentistry without a good photo. Mm -hmm. um, so photography is a big thing, and then um, essentially just uh, good dentistry. You know, mm -hmm. like um, I'm out. Um, no, I, it's it's fun to to look through this stuff. I mean, it's it's dental porn. Let's be honest. It's it's really because part of part of photography. I've had this conversation a million times. Um, I I admire people who do the photography because it it's time consuming. It, you have to you have to figure it into your workflow that you're going to do all this stuff. I'm kind of curious. It, now, 
so you went through a process residency, all that stuff. That's kind of ingrained in PROS, I'm thinking, right? The documentation is kind of a big deal, I'm assuming, right? It is. Uh, you're, I mean, you're required to have a DSLR before you start. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing is, when I started, most people were shooting with a ring flash. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably still the most common mm -hmm. flash. Um, and one of my co-residents, uh, Brian Aguirre, actually started experimenting with other different types of flashes mm -hmm. and kind of started getting into photography and he was actually mocked a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. Um, and then another one of my co-residents got into it uh, and so I started essentially learning from them at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, uh, yeah, lighting makes a big difference. You bet it does. So well, like, okay, so it's funny, and people probably, there's some people out there that, I know like nothing about photography. Mm -hmm. Like a hundred times I've said, I'm just gonna just kind of read about basic photography, and I can never get into it. I, yeah. I have, I've had multiple DSLR cameras. I have, I have a dual point flash thing, I, and I just, I'm horrible about it. I, I want to, but I just don't get it. And, and photography people are photography people. Like a lot of times, once they're into it, they're kind of at a level where they can't understand that I don't really get it. So like the basic stuff is, is oftentimes, is anyone feeling me on this or no? I mean like, like photography, you're either like into photography or you're like, wow, that is really difficult and scary and you just don't try it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so Miguel and I are teaching a course in photography. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I think you got a slide in here for the, the dates. I'll go back to it. Yeah, and um, this was Miguel's idea uh, to have this course. He's teaching several of them mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I'm taking part in these two for mm -hmm. right now. And um, the way he sort of has set up the course is he teaches you just basics of photography in general. Oh, interesting, start. okay. So um, a lot of these dental photography courses will just teach you dental photography, but he starts out by just teaching you, here are the basics interesting. of photography. Interesting, interesting. So that you could apply it um, for regular instead of just macro photography. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course there are different settings and such that you do need to know for sure. macro photography. but. That's very cool. So there, you guys, if you're interested in, in learning a little bit more about photography, uh, Seattle and San Francisco, cool places and everything like that. I would love to take that course. That sounds great. And honestly, that might be what I would need because I think having a, at least a little basis in actual photography yeah. is super helpful, right? I mean, like, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a, it's, it was a big learning curve for me because I was mostly self-taught. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first started taking a lot of photos, I was spinning, I mean, hours mm -hmm. just trying to get the right shot. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's much faster. So a course like this. It's like this, a very prosthodontist thing, by the way. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it, it's, it's cool. I get it. But it's like that, that would be like the bad joke people would tell about the pros residents is like they'd spend more time photographing his stuff than prepping teeth and that sort of thing because, yeah. because that was kind of part of the deal. You know, it's like a, she's like, yeah, it's great. Come on your show. I insult you. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just sort of, I, but I, I, I admire it like crazy. And, and I mean, you guys do really head and shoulders above work. I love it. So Yeah, thank you. So, okay, so photography is definitely your thing, but tell me a little bit about Instagram itself. Um, you are millennial. Just ish, barely. Millennial-ish. Yeah. Okay. Um, Instagram is, and, and these sorts of photo sharing sites are, are definitely kind of skewed toward yeah. younger. I'm wondering, like, you probably don't have a lot of, like, my dad probably doesn't follow your Instagram account, I'll just say that, you know, but like, like this is definitely a kind of a new form of communication. Right. And I'm wondering where, you know, what is Instagram like for dentistry? Um, so I think Instagram in general is a growing platform, mm -hmm. um, especially because uh, 
the dissemination of information is too great now. Mm -hmm. When you get on Facebook, it can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and someone told me the other day that Facebook now is actually trying to figure out how to get you off of it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, because it's just I'd like them much. to figure that out, actually. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think what Instagram does is, um, I mean, our attention spans are decreasing mm -hmm. just as a culture. Mm -hmm. um, so it's easier to consume that amount of information because mm -hmm. you're only seeing on your phone screen about one photo at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and then you don't have as many options, you just have one feed. Mm -hmm. So I think as a culture, as our attention spans continue to decrease, Instagram will probably increase in use mm -hmm. because it's easier for us to consume. So we're basically all becoming ADD yeah. if we weren't already. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the ADD kids do some cool things. I mean, this this I would say this conference is probably probably a, a yeah. testament to that, anyhow. But it, it's sort of true, though, right? Yeah. Like that's it is in visual stuff that you can take in quickly and go, whoa! And you, I mean, like right. that's a big deal. I don't read a lot of textbooks. Never did because I couldn't. You know, it's like a so that's very interesting. So, what has do you see? Instagram more of like an educational platform for dentists or do you see it as like a marketing platform for um, So for I think patients? it can be used for both. Okay. Um, there are certain people like uh, Dr. Appa uh, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. He has, you know, over 100,000 followers. He's completely grown his practice from Instagram. Really? Um, he's probably one of the most famous dentists yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and it all started with Instagram. So there's, um, really? and I've seen I several patients um, I read an article the other day of a patient that said um, that, I don't remember what state they were living in, but they said there were no cosmetic dentists in my state. And so I, on Instagram, I found this dentist and I flew to see them. And I'm pretty sure there was a cosmetic, you know, a cosmetic dentist in their state, mm -hmm. but they were searching through Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, so people are using Instagram to search things. Well, Instagram, like if you're putting up photography like you are, I mean, if a person is looking for that kind of photography, I guess probably you'd be wanting my, more full faces, more yeah. before and after. My not, not Instagram account is geared towards dentists. Yeah, blood and guts um, I mean, kind of stuff. I mean, my followers are almost sure, all dentists. Sure, sure. Um, in fact, I don't... Natalie almost threw up when she was looking at your pictures. Right. I just want you to know that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I showed one of my patients, I was trying to just show them an image, and mm -hmm. I pulled up my Instagram account, and she immediately was like, oh, yeah. that's disgusting. No, I, I get it. See. So, okay, but, but I mean, like, befores and afters are huge, like, uh -huh. you, you are an authority once you're putting up befores and afters. And if a person finds you on Instagram in their location, that, that could be a very powerful... Right, yeah, so that would be, um, and I'm getting ready to create a separate account for mm -hmm. that, where mm -hmm. I'm marketing more just to patients. Cool, I can't wait to hear how that goes. As opposed that, to that, that could have some legs, even for people who aren't all that into Instagram, it seems like. Yeah. That's very cool. All right, before we finish up, I want to ask you a little bit about your podcast, The Dental Outliers. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it. Um, I, I enjoyed being on it, but I really like, I like what you're doing. I want you to tell me, how did you, how did you decide to start a podcast? How did you get into this crazy space? Um, how did I decide to start? I, th I think I just kind of had an aha moment one day where mm -hmm. I said, um, hey, I want to, I just, I think I want to start a podcast and I want to interview outliers in dentistry because I'm always fascinating or I'm always fascinated by people that are doing something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm speaking on this actually at the end of the day today, I'm mm -hmm. speaking on outliers Oh, I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah. Um, so, um, you'll hear more about sort of my obsession with outliers uh -huh. at that point. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I called up uh, Knife Sonata, who's been my co-host, mm -hmm. and um, you know, asked him if he would be interested in doing it for me and sort of pitched him my premise, uh, which is to 
reach out to outliers. Um, and I ask them questions about what they're doing that sets them apart, but I also like to ask them questions about, um, you know, what are their habits? What are their morning routines? Mm -hmm. What's the book that they've uh, read the most or mm -hmm. given away? Or um, just to get a feel for, for them uh, psychologically and kind of mm -hmm. how they function. Mm -hmm. That's, it's cool. It's, it's a good show. I really like it. I listen to it a lot. And uh, so basically, if you've got your phone out still, go ahead and just, just look on iTunes for Dental Outliers. You won't regret it. You're going to hear, excuse me, you're going to hear more from Stephanie later today. Stephanie, thank you very much for thank being on you. the Elmi Experience. This is the first time we've ever done it live, and I think it went well. So thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.